0: Good morning. Welcome to Grace Community Christian Church. We're so blessed to have you this morning. This morning we're going to be continuing in the book of Acts uh, as we journey through this book, which was written by Luke. Uh, what we see as the start of the Christian Church and its first evangelical missions. And last week we spoke about Paul and Barnabas are on this journey, and um, they're in Antioch, in Pisidia, in a synagogue, and after the service, they are asked if they want to address the congregation, and and Paul preaches, he stands up and begins a sermon, and he takes the, the, the Jews there, um, the audience there, from Abraham to Jesus. Now listen, uh, we need to understand today there are many buildings filled with people on Sunday mornings that reference themselves as a church. Many belong to denominations, some don't. But there are several of those churches which have made concessions on many things that are fundamental to Christianity. But the most dangerous and deadly concession they ever made was the minimalization to outright denial of Jesus Christ and who he was and is. Many of the fringe denominations outside Orthodox Christianity, um, like the Episcopalian, uh, the some branches uh, of the more liberal Methodist groups, United the United Church of Christ uh, churches on several and several others have gone as far as to not only say in some of their churches that Jesus is not the only way to salvation, but questioning and denying Jesus was even. God. Listen, God wants all his people to know, actually very early on in scripture, that Jesus is he, God the son. The the Old Testament is filled with scripture after scripture of God promising a deliverer, a savior, a king, a messiah. And in the New Testament, Jesus fulfills this prophecy that God gave of a messiah. I'm going to look for a second. I want us to go all the way back because there are some prophecies. There are some prophecies that are yet to be fulfilled and will only be fulfilled at the second coming. But look how early on God points out that there will be a coming Messiah, a coming Savior. Go to Genesis 3.15. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring and he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. The Hebrew word here for offspring, I mean seed, and in some translations it actually says I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. Listen, simple basic biology lets us know that in a in the act of making a child, the woman does not have a seed. But right here lets us know that the Savior will be born of woman's seed, something she does not have, but in the pregnancy for and the birth of Jesus, there was no seed of man provided. The seed provided was freshened to Mary only. God doesn't stop there, letting us understand the miracle of the birth of Jesus and what a miracle it was to be. Isaiah seven fourteen. Therefore, the Lord Himself will give you a sign: behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. That it is going to be a virgin birth. Isaiah nine six. For us to a child is born; to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Listen. And Micah. We're told he will be born in Bethlehem, and he was, in fact, born in Bethlehem. Moses tells us Jesus would be a, a, a son, and a descendant of Abraham, and he was, in fact, a son of Abraham, according to Matthew. We see in the Old Testament the Messiah would come from the, li- the line of Isaac, and in Luke 3, Luke tells us he did, in fact, come from the line of Isaac. Genesis, Genesis 49.10, we We read the scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff, but between his feet until tribute comes to him and to him shall be the obedience of the people. He did come from the line of the tribe of Judah. In the book of Revelation, Jesus is referred to as the lion of the tribe of Judah. Listen, over and over and over again in the Old Testament, we read prophecy of the coming Messiah and Jesus fulfilled his prophecies. Paul in his sermon to these Jews and some converted Gentiles in the synagogue takes them from the Old Testament history that they would know to a literal historical Jesus. And Paul in his opener, which was a history lesson of sorts, pointed to Christ as the culmination of all history. So if all history was going from the beginning of time to Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ came and yet Time went on and history went on. Where is all this history going to end up? That's a great question. One Paul is about to answer for us. See, we, we look back at Christ as the greatest point in all of history, but we also look forward because we understand that he is going to return. Yes, Christ fulfilled Old Testament prophecy, but there is yet prophecy he has not fulfilled yet. and He will fulfill upon his return. History will resolve in Jesus Christ. History, any history, has no uh, point without Christ. If Christ did not come, all is lost and everyone spends eternity in hell. But if if Christ wasn't going to return, none of God's people will be taken to heaven. It all banks on. It all has purpose in it all has a uh, uh, meaning in Jesus Christ. Paul is telling these Jews in the synagogue that this, and, and trust me, it's not like they're, go- that, that they're going to be convinced very easily. So Paul took them back to the Old Testament, Testament prophecy, as we saw last week to get them to Jesus. He took them back what they would know very well and takes them to Jesus through the scriptures. We left off last week at verse 25 where Paul had just referenced the prophecy of the one who was who was going to prepare a way for Jesus. Now this would be John the Baptist. And John was calling people to repent because the Messiah was coming. And there's always a good question about John the Baptist. And that is... Um, if John was baptizing people before Christ had started his ministry, and I mean the public ministry, and whose name was he baptizing them in? Was, was this Christian baptism? And the answer is no. Christian baptism is an act of obedience which symbolizes us being buried with Christ. If Christ had yet started his, to start his ministry, let alone yet to be buried, how was John baptizing people? Well, it was a baptism of repentance, as we saw last week, is what Paul says. The, The Jews who were preparing themselves for the coming Messiah wanted to cleanse themselves of their transgressions, to repent of their sins in preparation of the coming Messiah. John preached, Messiah is coming, turn from your sin and prepare your heart to receive him. John baptizes, or baptisms were baptisms of repentance. Listen, before one can truly come to Christ, they must repent. That is a message often lost in church today. See, in churches today, they are not talking about sin. And if you're not talking about sin, then what do the people think they have to repent from? Repentance is a necessity for salvation. That is non-negotiable. John came before Christ preaching repentance to prepare those repentant hearts to receive Christ. So Paul has covered history, and Paul now prepares for the future. Turn with me, if you would, to Acts 13, starting with verse 26. Brothers, sons of the family of Abraham and those among you who fear God, to us, has been sent the message of this salvation for those who live in Jerusalem and their rulers, because they did not recognize him, nor understand the utterances of the prophets, which are read every Sabbath, fulfilled them by condemning him. And though they found in him no guilt worthy of death, they asked Pilate to have him executed. And when they had carried out all that was written of him, they took him down from the tree and they laid him in a tomb. But God raised him from the dead, and for many days he prepared prepared or appeared To those who had come up with him from Galilee to Jerusalem, who were now his witnesses to the people. Right there in verse 26, those among you who fear God, this addresses any Gentiles who practiced the Hebrew practice of worship and, and worshiped the God of Israel. There would have been some in there in the synagogue. But in verse 27 through 28, for those who live in Jerusalem and their rulers because they did not recognize him nor understand the utterances of the prophets which are read every, sab- every Sabbath fulfilled them by condemning him and though they found in him no guilt worthy of death, they asked Pilate to have him executed. Paul is telling them how they, the Jews, God's people and their leaders did not recognize the prophesied Messiah. This This is turned from A history lesson into an indictment of their whole system. Hey, the people who supposedly know so much about the Old Testament teaching and prophecy, turns out they didn't know anything. They never understood it. They never, and they never recognized the Messiah that they were waiting on. And in verse 28, Paul continues, not only did they not recognize him, but they trumped up charges to have the Romans execute him. Listen, Paul is saying your leaders, your people, they're ignorant. They were ignorant and could not have understood. They couldn't even understood the scriptures that they had claimed to have knowledge of. Understand there's still a lot of that going around. Churches denouncing a historical Jesus. Churches taking out billboards and holding rallies, apologizing for biblical teachings on things that the culture seems would be insensitive Individual Christians claiming to have knowledge of Scripture, but their lives are in direct defiance of it. Listen, if these people lived 2,000 years ago in Jerusalem, they would claim knowledge of Scripture while shouting crucify him about Christ. They're the ignorant, misled, lost group of today, just as the Jews were then. So if they killed Jesus, that was it. It was over, right? Right there in verse 27, it says, which are read every Sabbath fulfilled them by condemning him, the them being the prophecies in the ignorance. These people actually fulfilled the exact prophecy that they were ignorant about. And the prophecy that they claimed Jesus wasn't fulfilling in their act was an act that, Help fulfill that prophecy. Verse twenty-nine. And when they had carried out all that was written of them of him, they took him down from the tree and laid him in a tomb. This is this is echoed hope here. When they when they had fulfilled everything that was written about him. That's what they did. They 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 sent and they were waiting for the fulfillment of prophecy. And while waiting, they unknowingly were part of the fulfillment of that prophecy. And they, in their ignorance, thought they had ended it. They had him in a tomb. They would put him in a tomb. They'd buried him, and in their hands, they'd wash their hands of it. But verse thirty. Maybe the seven greatest words. But God raised him from the dead. But God the Father raised God the Son from the dead. Listen, just like these denominations today or these churches today who believe that they could fill the building if they just got rid of Jesus. So they make him a myth. They make him just merely a moral teacher. Just focus on the morality of Jesus. Don't worry about a historical Jesus. They say he was a mere man or not historical at all. They're attempting to do the same thing that these Jewish leaders were doing. And it did not work, and it is still not working. By the way, a few weeks ago we talked about how the the focus of apostolic preaching in the first century was always the resurrection. Exactly where does Paul take them to, but to the resurrection. And then look at verse 31. And for many days he appeared to those who had come up with him from Galilee to Jerusalem, who were now his witnesses to the people. Jesus rose from the dead and he appeared to his disciples and prepared them to go out and teach, spreading the gospel, making disciples. The Jews thought they had erased him from history, but history culminated in him and then it spurned on from him. Look at verse 32 as we go on, verse 32 to 35. And we bring you the good news that what God promised to the fathers, this he has fulfilled to us, their children, by raising Jesus, as also it is written in the second psalm. You are my son. Today I have begotten you. And as for the fact that he raised him from the dead, no more to to return to corruption, he has spoken in this way, I will give you the holy and sure blessings of David. Therefore, he says also in another psalm, you will not let your holy ones see corruption. Paul tells them, And 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 here we are witnesses to you, and we have good news. We're witnesses of the resurrected Christ, and we have good news. And then Paul lays out that good news from the Old Testament. Verse thirty three here is from Psalm two seven. Verse thirty four is from Isaiah fifty five three. Verse thirty five is from Psalm sixteen ten. And this one's kind of interesting because in Psalm sixteen ten. For you will not abandon my soul to to Sheol or let your Holy One see corruption. See, many people who have never really studied Scripture argue that this verse is talking about King David. And the Jews at that time felt that this verse from the Psalms spoke of King David. And and so the Jews sitting in a synagogue would argue this verse is about King David. But Paul puts that that debate to bed in our next text. Verse 36, for David, after he had served the purpose of God and his own generation fell asleep and he was laid with his fathers and saw corruption. Listen, David was buried with his ancestors. And guess what? He never got out. He never got out of that tomb. And he was. And he he decayed. He saw corruption. Corruption. If you were to dig up the tomb of King David, you'd find King David. What was left? That's what Paul is telling them. You'll find a corpse in King David's tomb. But in verse 37, but he whom God raised up did not see corruption. But Christ's tomb was empty. See, the Jews Held all these historical people in such high regard Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, David. Paul saying they all died, and guess what? They stayed dead. Jesus came out of the grave, he defeated death. Going on with verse 38 and 39. Let it be known to you, therefore, brothers, that through this man, forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. And by him, everyone who believes is freed from everything from which you could not be freed by the law of Moses. Again, Paul is emphasizing Jesus, not the patriarchs, not those great Jews and prophets. But Jesus offers you forgiveness of your sins. There's that repentive aspect. Everyone who believes is freed. There is the faith aspect. And then he states the law that you've been attempting to keep, it cannot save you. We see this, this repent and have faith concept right here. Listen, everyone whom is saved or will ever truly be saved must understand that they are a corrupt sinner and how horrible sin is and how, how bad God hates sin. We are no longer talking about sin in churches today. We have very famous pastors who are claiming... We don't talk about sin because people it makes people uncomfortable. Why are you worried about their comfort, worry about their salvation, worry about their righteousness? Everyone must understand that they are a corrupted sinner and how horrible sin is and how bad God hates sin. Isaiah 1.4 Ah, sinful nation, a people laden with iniquity, offspring of evildoers, children who deal corruptly. They have forsaken the Lord. They have despised the Holy One of Israel. They are utterly estranged. Sin separates us from God. We are estranged from God. Now, it's funny because people who are estranged from God, you know, they, they claim to believe they claim to be Christian. They may go to church once in a while. They may show up on a Sunday. They may sit there. They may like to hear a lighthearted message to feel good that they they can check off the box that they did what they were supposed to do this week. But they they willfully and actually act and and actively sin and they live in disobedience. And they talk about praying. They'll say things like, I was praying for this. Or I was praying for that. They want the benefits of faith, but not the commitment. And look how God feels about this. Look at Isaiah 115. This is what he says to, to the, the Israelites who are just living in direct disobedience. When you, when you spread out your hands, I will hide my eyes from you. Even though you make many prayers, I will not listen your hands are full of blood he doesn't listen to their prayers they're not his. these unrepentive people who don't understand that they're sinners they do not see themselves as sinners they don't they're willfully and actively sinning in life but they like to talk about and throw about the verbiage of Christianity they like to say that they're praying they're allowed to sit in pews and never grow and never mature. To hold on to this, their sin is separating them from God. They They are estranged from God. That is how grievous sin is. So we are called to repent, to turn away from willful sin. That's the only way God can even hear us and look upon us, crying out to a righteous and holy God. So everyone must realize that they are a sinner and repent of their sin. They also need to know who to turn to and who to have faith in. Can't just turn to anybody and have faith in anyone. There are some churches that actually actually preach that, or so-called churches. Doesn't matter what you believe. Doesn't matter who you believe in. Just matters that you're you're here just matters that you believe in something. No, it is very important that your faith is in Jesus Christ. Because he's the only one who is capable of saving you. He's not a myth. He's not a, just a moral teacher or a prophet, but he is God himself as Savior, Lord Jesus Christ, a historical Jesus Christ who lived, who died, and who rose from the grave. And we are called to repent and have faith in him. I'm a sinner and I must repent and I must have faith and who I repent to is capable of saving me. Look, you cannot be saved without repentance and you cannot be saved without faith. Repentance from your sin and faith that he, Jesus Christ died on the cross and rose from the grave returning to heaven, and he will come again. But look, Paul, Paul wants to make one point very, very clear here. Look at Acts thirteen forty through 41, the, the end of our text today, this last point. Beware, therefore, lest what is said in the prophets should come about. Look, you scoffers, be astounded and perish, for I am doing a work in your days, a work that you will not believe, even if one tells it to you. Now, this is a prophecy from Habakkuk 1.5. See, back in Habakkuk's day, Israel was, was a red-hot mess. And God tells Habakkuk to tell the people that he is going to do a work that even though Habakkuk tells them, they will not believe. And that work is Judgment. God says, tell the people judgment is coming, but they won't believe you. See, it it addresses Israel's unbelief and their rejection of God continually. And what did God do in Habakkuk? He sent the Chaldeans in and they took and they, they destroyed Jerusalem and they took the Israelites to Babylon. Judgment. Man, if only somebody had told them about it. They did, and they didn't listen. Paul is telling the Jews in the synagogue, remember what happened to our ancestors, the nation of Israel, when they did not believe and they were judged. They were warned about it and still did not believe. Look at verse 41 again. Look, you scoffers, be astounded and perish, for I am doing a work in your days, a work that you will not believe, even if one tells it to you. See, the hardest thing for people to believe about God is that he will judge them. No one wants to face that. Everyone wants to to, to see God as this all love, he's only love. They only want, they don't want to look at any other attribute of God. And they only want to see Jesus as 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 this. Long-haired, flowing-in-the-wind person with a lamb around his shoulders, walking around, just hugging everyone. See, if you never talk about judgment, if you never talk about the future-coming judgment, people love talking about God's love and the social gospel and acceptance, but no one wants to be judged. Don't talk about judged. Fill the building. Start talking about judgment. You're showing them the exit. And so, so many pastors today in these churches are scared to death to talk about the coming judgment. And here Paul is standing in front of these people and he's directing them that this is a historical Jesus who lived. He died on a cross because you people put him there. And he rose from the dead. And he is coming back and he is going to be in judgment. You will be judged. You see, we have this very warped sense of love in our culture today. We've allowed the culture to define what even us, the church in the Western world, views as love. That if I love you, I accept everything about you and everything's okay and everything's all right. And that is not biblical love. Biblical love is I I love you so much that even in the face that you may hate me for it, I'm going to share the truth with you Because you're standing on a railroad track and a train is bearing down on you. And I do not want to see you get hit. I mean, how bad do you have to hate someone to to believe there's a hell and to supposedly love them while they're doing the exact thing that keeps them from the person who could save them from that hell? It's hard for people to grasp because they do not understand God's character. But you cannot read the scripture and you cannot know anything about the scripture and not accept that God is a judge and his judgment is coming. See, people like God as Santa Claus, he's always giving and jolly, he's their personal ATM. I want to go out and live any way I can. I want to live in direct defiance of his word and in direct defiance of him and no obedience to him in any way, shape, or form. Or I want to I want to be obedient to him on my terms. I want to worship him on my terms, and yet I want to use him as an ATM and pray for things that I want or when I'm in trouble. And I just want to I want to go and get what I want out of it. You read the Old Testament, you understand how he feels about sin. There is a hell, and the scripture tells us that the fire is never quenched, and there is weeping and gnashing of teeth from pain. And just because someone doesn't believe, it's not going to save them. If I'm driving 80 in a 55, and I get pulled over by a police officer, and I say, sorry, officer, I don't believe That it's only 55 through here. He's not going to say, oh, well, you're free to go. If you don't believe it's 55, I mean, I guess it's what you believe it is. No, he's going to look at me like I'm nuts. I'm going to be judged for it. But God knew people would not believe even though people tell them. And Paul gives an invitation in the last few verses, 38 through 41, and it's summarized by all who believe, all who repent and put their faith in Christ as Savior, you're forgiven and justified. But for all who do not believe, judgment is coming and you will not believe it, but your unbelief will not stop it. Paul lets us know a real truth that God is a God of grace And his grace is extended to all those who repent and have faith in his son, Jesus Christ. But a foolish man rejects God even when he is told. And he's blind and he's unable to see the truth before him. He's dead in his trespasses. Christ offers life, eternal life for all who his father calls. When we take this message of the gospel into the world, we understand that people will reject it they do they do not want to face that they will be judged for their disobedience but just as history culminated at the cross continues until Christ returns and his return to judge to separate the wheat from the tare as sure as people will reject it there are hearts that are being prepared to receive it and to receive the same message that Paul presented here and it is still relevant today. There is a judgment coming. Repent and have faith. Let's pray.